Welcome to this BGSM podcast. I'm here with Professor Renstrom, Emeritus Professor in Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Surgery at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. And let's talk a little bit about the things that you have accomplished in your life. For example, you wrote the book on sport injuries in 1977. I heard that 800,000 copies have been sold and that the fourth edition is in print. When we were emerging as sports medicine doctors and there were no such thing in the 70s, we were giving courses for the Swedish uh, Sports Association, lots of them for their different uh, football teams and others, coaches, physiotherapists, doctors, everybody. And there was an increasing demand for something. Where could I read about this? So uh, after a couple of years, the Swedish Confederation of Sports and the Swedish Football Federation asked us, why don't you write this up? So, uh, and with their support, we uh, wrote it up. And uh, uh, the first book then came out in 1977. And I still remember the day because we were so happy for this. It was, uh, yeah, no, that was a great, great day. But it's not your only book because you have written 17 different books, including several IOC handbooks and IOC encyclopedias. Well, let's just finish about that book because it uh, has come out in now three editions. And the fourth one, I will meet with uh, the British editor tomorrow and hand over part of the last fourth edition to her, which probably be, you know, uh, takes several years to upgrade it and because uh, so much happening now. So very happy we are, we are done by this, uh, with this. And then during the years we gathered experience and I've been fortunate to put some volumes together, different topics, yes. But about this book, what makes it so special? Is it, is it the drawings? Is it the, the, the basic sports medicine? Well, at the time, I think the drawings was very attractive because we were, Lars Pietsch and I was my co-author, we wrote every word in it, and we were sitting together with an artist making the pictures from start to beginning. And we said this the way we want it, you know, done. And those drawings did, had not existed before on injuries at that time. So I think the drawings were part of it. And then the second part is that we decided to write it in very simple language so that it was directed to the coaches and to the therapists and not so much for doctors but the doctors used it anyway but it was not really written for doctors it was written for the sports world yeah so who who is your target audience is it physiotherapists is it athletes if you look at it it turned out to be mostly physical therapists nurses and primary care doctors those are the ones because we had no surgery in it and anything like that it's it's a non-surgery book but we wrote that these may need surgery but we did not tell them what to do really but uh, we told them then it would take that so much time to come back after surgery that we included you've been 24 years i believe in the ioc medical commission involved with the ioc yeah that's uh, another award reward i i 
I became part of IUC 1989. Prince Temurod, uh, who was then chairman of the medical commission, recruited me. So I started out at that time and then I got more and more tasks to do and I've been to most of the Olympic Games and for me that was a dream until I saw my first Games in the Rome Olympics 1960. I always dreamt of going to Olympics, so I worked for it. But then, then it happened in 89, so then I was reached uh, top age. Now they have an age limit of 70 and I reached that two years ago, so I had to leave. But I have so many memories and that's been be some of the best parts of my life. Can you share some of your best memories with us or with the listeners? No, but um, I, I got the last 12 years, I got the task to uh, be in charge of the medical service at the um, uh, polyclinic in the Olympic Village. And that gave me a chance to meet not only the top athletes but also all the top-notch doctors and therapists from all around the world so I got a very large uh, group of people that I could associate with discuss with and was always a challenge because there were always unexpected problems so I loved to be there during those uh, weeks to to be part of this fantastic experience the Olympic Games is some of the are the most fan. If you're a sports fan, that's the highlight. Yeah. Well, as you know, the BGSM has four Olympic editions. What role do you think the IOC Medical Commission can play for for a sports physician in 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 a smaller country? Do you think they can can mean anything to that doctor? Yeah, I I think when you send the best athletes to Olympic Games, many countries at least should send their best doctors and therapists. I'm not sure they always do that, but they should do that. And uh, then they also, uh, because nowadays what uh, we started in these games are that we also had lots of education. So the medical staff that came to the games, they, they also offered quite a bit of education and uh, they got to know the people involved and they then they could uh, keep contact with, with with problems they had so it was uh, it's it's uh, so i think uh, i see in that aspect as a role model a leader can play a role yeah and you were involved in writing several um, encyclopedias in sports medicine for the ioc and handbooks what is it well, what is the aim and the mission of these of these books? Well, those books—that's uh, why I, that's why how we start. I came in in the first place. They started '89, and Skip Knutken and I, and a few others were in there for a while. Uh, uh, Skip is the, was the driving force, uh, but uh, uh, I was given the responsibility for two large volumes of injuries, and uh, then later uh, one on tendinopathy with Xavier uh, Wu and Steve Anoski, and then a handbook on tennis, which where you contributed. And I think that book is still very good. And those books are widespread because IUC usually have high quality in what they do. 
So I think they play a role and they're still coming out two, three, four books and books a year and one or two encyclopedias. And lots of work behind those books. And so I think they play a great role. Yeah. And when you mention tennis, people immediately think of you as you're the medical director of the ATP. You have been involved in the Society of Tennis Medicine and Science. What does tennis mean to you and what have you done medically in, in tennis? Well, as a sports fan, I, I was basically brought up with football, that's soccer. And that's been part of my whole life and uh, been my main sport. But when I started to have kids, I looked at where we lived and I wanted them to have a lifetime sport. And uh, I realized that there is more or less, tennis is the ideal lifetime sport. It's also a family sport. So when, it, uh, when kids uh, grow up, we, the whole family, our four kids, the six of us, were on the tennis court every Saturday playing. The kids have to be there every Saturday for 20 years. We, we, they, they never forget this. And then we went home and had lunch together and all that. That created a very good family atmosphere and everybody became a tennis player. So we had lots of fun, all the kids beat, beat my wife and me pretty early, but we continue to play and I still play every week. Yeah. So it's uh, really a lifetime sport. I love tennis, I love to play it and love to deal with it, but I, I also love football. Now we'll come to football later. <laughs> <laughs> but your son Morton, he is a he was an ATP tennis player, was a very good doubles player. Yeah, yes, our oldest son, and he played five years on the ATP tour. Yeah, and he was world junior champion in doubles and won both Australian Open and US Open in doubles. Yeah, yeah. and you have been involved heavily with the ATP and the ITF Medical Commission. What has changed in the medical field of tennis the last 10 years? Well, it's a challenge because tennis has developed so much as a sport, especially during the late 1990s and beginning of 2000 when the new equipment came forward, there are new problems. The new equipment allowed a new technique to come forward. So everything was... Uh, People could stand at base court hitting with open stance very hard and killing the ball. They could never do that before. And then we got new types of injuries. So it was a challenge, this whole thing. So we have, during the last 15 years, struggled with building up a system where we can register all tennis injuries happening in the world. I mean, ATP has 72 tournaments and WTA as much and then the four Grand Slams. And there are lots of injuries happening and we want to really scrutinize those so we know how we can prevent them for the future. And we have done quite a lot, but we have a long way to go in spite of hard work. It's very tricky to get the systems to work so we can register and you have many people involved. But we're getting there and that's, it's, 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 it's a good feeling. So I, I, I feel happy to say that we are still progressing and doing better work and that's why I'm still here. Yeah, because you briefly mentioned registering injuries and you have been involved in registering injuries during the Olympics. Yeah. Why do you think that's important? Well, 
I was <laughs> initiating that during the Sydney Olympics, walking up and down, and uh, took quite a few years before the 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 leadership of the IOC medical Commission realized this was important. So it took uh, not until 2006 that they really got the message that this is important, and then it to then we they employed a director for science in the IOC, Lars Engelbrechtsson, and that improved the whole thing dramatically. And now we know pretty well uh, the amount of injuries, uh, the incidence of injuries happening during the games. Uh, we still don't really know all the details, but uh, we are also now today allowed to gather all the films that can be found of incidents, and that allows um, the medical commission to analyze how they happened, injury mechanism, uh, and and uh, and also to combine with the incidents and the severity of the injury, you can in some way start the work on preventing these injuries and have that when you build the arenas, the build the, the downhill slopes, etc. So there's been an explosion the last ten years in prevention. But you also mentioned tonight that you um, that tendinopathy is is still a challenge. You you wrote a book on tendinopathy with Savio Wu. Do you do you see any progress in that area? Because that's a very very difficult topic. Well, tendinopathy is a huge clinical problem, and it's one of the most difficult in sports. And we have come pretty. F there are much better treatment now compared to twenty years ago. But we have not really been. It's the the slope has uh, is uh, slowly very slowly increasing now because we have not made so much progress the last five to ten years as we would have liked. We know theoretically what happened with eccentric training and these kind of techniques, but we are not really good at uh, the other techniques, you know, the, the, the biotechnics, uh, the uh, shockwave, the ultrasound, all these. We, uh, we are trying all these, but there's no real breakthrough yet. So we have probably a long way to go before we really know. I think in, in concern this type of injury, I see prevention, prevention is the key. Mm. Any suggestions? What type of prevention would that be? Periodization? Would it be strength training? Oh, yeah. That's it... why it happens, though. And I think tennis is uh, pretty good. I mean, with that, I mean, and also the leadership has accepted to show, to to lengthen the off season, which is good. But unfortunately, the top players then go and play some other place, and that's completely wrong. They should take the leadership in you know building themselves up. Repairization of the training and all these kind of things that um, and strength training the right way, etc., that we now know much more about, and that's probably where we should put very much energy in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more important to prevent than to treat, I think. Yeah. And tonight you were you were looking at your phone all the time. You were following your favorite soccer team. You're the chief medical officer of um, the Soccer Federation or the Swedish Football, football sorry, Swedish <laughs> Football Federation. You, you've kept that away from me for a long time, but what does soccer mean to you and what are you doing well, in, with it? 
like many of us, my generation, the only sport we could do was soccer, uh, handball and ice hockey. I mean, I, I talk about Sweden, and we, are, we had no television, and I was replaced. I played football five hours a day, my whole life, my whole... Uh, so I, I, I started playing a team when I was seven, and I played to 42, so I played 35 years competitive football. And that has got so many friends, uh, so many memories, and uh, so so I know most things about football. And then I continue to follow, and now I take care of uh, the medical service of our thirty national teams in Swedish football, and that's lots of fun. As a as an emeritus, a retired person, I do that instead of operating, doing surgery. <laughs> And also, I would almost forget, but you're you're a Swede by birth, but you spent a long time in America, in Vermont. Yeah, that was the best part, uh, some of the best part of my life. I got an offer to come over to the States, and uh, we were there one year, 83, 84, as visiting professor. And they liked, the whole family was there, and the, and the people in Vermont liked the package, so they offered us to come back took some time before we really decided to do that. But then we came back and we stayed for 10 years. And we had the best time of our life. And best part was that I could do so much research. I lived in the lab and, do, and then I lived for doing surgery. I had some of the best colleagues you can find in research, Bruce Benny and Robert Johnson, two giants in sports medicine. And we, have, and we won also the highest most prestigious award in all of us big surgery and for, for our research, 1994. Kappa Delta Award, I'm very proud of that. And very few groups get that because it's the highest award you can get for research. So I got that research award and that is uh, great. Uh, and then we got lots of sports medicine awards also, you know, but that was the finest award you can have. And we were proud of that. Yeah. So taking everything in consideration what would your recommendation be for for a young sport, sport physician of, of of this time where do you th where would you recommend they spend their energy or their time well first i can like to say that if people get involved in sports medicine they make a choice they never regret because <laughs> it's so much fun so much challenge so much camaraderie laughter fun and you train together you have fun together. So I, I think it's, uh, for me, it's, uh, it's uh, I'm so happy. I have a fantastic life and I'm very happy for it. And uh, my wife has shared, you know, the interest. So it's, it's very important. But uh, I think that uh, I, I choose orthopedics, but today sports medicine is so much more. You can do lots good in cardiology, in the pediatrics, and many other disciplines, rehab, and other disciplines. So, so I still think orthopedics is probably uh, most associated with sports. But I think the best sports medicine doctor for a team. Uh, in Olympics, for example, is probably the, the pre family practitioner. Mm -hmm. They are the ones that know because half the problems are med medical. Uh, there are infections, gynecology, all this kind of stuff. So uh, you need both. 
It's good to hear that you see a future for 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 sports medicine. Oh yeah. yeah, but on the other hand, there will be a very harder regulations because you you must be you must have quality, but you also must have medical uh, journals of what you do. So every patient you treat also on the soccer field, you have to sit down and write a short note on that. That is the law in Sweden now, and that will be reinforced in a year or two. So we are in for more more jobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So, well, to 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 finalize it, see your role for for um, sports medical journals for research. I think that if you are a practitioner, that's fine, and you're happy with that. I think if you want to really reach the top, you have to do research, you have to do some education, because research makes you understand. You ask to, especially you learn how to ask the critical questions. And the critical questions are the ones that get you forward. So research is fundamental, I think, to really be successful. We need very good clinicians too, though. So it's very, so it's not black or white. I mean, you know, you should do where your talent is. So if you want to surgery, that's fine. But you should always, however, be able to report what you're doing. And it was almost my last question, but it suddenly brings me back to the Society for Tennis Medicine and Science that has their next meeting 5th to 8th May in Rome next year. You founded that society. What was your your goal with it and have you accomplished that? Well, that was at the time when I moved over to the States and I realized that in tennis, they, you had tennis organizations, but none of them were in, in any way interested in medicine, in preventing injuries, or anything like that. I tried to work with them, it was impossible. I had then been, you know, with the Swedish Tennis Federation, I see that that was possible. So decided to contact some of the Americans and we founded the society with the main goal that people should share education with each other, have conferences, knowledge, and also try to stimulate research in the field. And I think it has had a great role. And now we have some big tennis organizations and they are all interested in doing this. So we are getting there, but for example, FIFA, And we find football, they give five million Swiss francs every year each to research. They have enormous amounts. So, and tennis is almost giving nothing in uh, monetary funds to research. So tennis is a rich sport. There's still a long way to go. Mm. So how can we change that? Well, we have to continue to work, but what we have to do is to get the attention of the leadership. And I think uh, something great happened this month that in ATP now, the Medical Service Committee is now lifted up so that the chairman, Todd Ellenbecker, that is now vice president of ATP, so he can report uh, directly to the board and to leadership. And that that is that will definitely help tennis medicine or, and also uh, help, uh, f help the leadership to focus more on these issues. 
should we change something with the ITF Medical Commission? I think that uh, that um, ITF has a medical commission and it's very strong, very good people on it, very intellectual and knowledgeable people, but they don't get the chances to do the work they could do. So they must be more better funded, get more possibilities to do the work that's needed. Because this is a very important organization and will get even more important and relevant if they do some research in this field. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time.